Welcome to Energy in Action. I'm your host, Marcy Young, and as a Mito patient myself, I appreciate you and the community you've helped us to build. This podcast honors the triumphs and struggles of patients and families affected by this disease and celebrates the work being done by doctors and researchers every day to make it a safer world for our people. We are a support group and a podcast focusing on all things related to mitochondrial disease. Welcome to another episode of Energy in Action. I'm your host, Marcy Young, and today I have a very special group of people, all warriors with mitochondrial disease and all finding their way in the world of employment, you know, figuring out employment opportunities while struggling at times with mitochondrial disease can be a real challenge. There are tasks we can't do as easily. There is fatigue we have to contend with. There's so much that we have to keep up with on a daily basis outside of the work. And so what I thought would be a great episode would be to bring some of our mitochondrial community together to talk about how they've made working work for them. And they all have very unique stories of their companies and flexibility and life hacks and I look forward to you all learning from them. I know that a couple of years ago, I would have really benefited from this episode myself. I was forced to stop doing my what I thought of as my dream job because it didn't, it was like oil and water with mitochondrial disease. And it's still a tough pill for me to swallow that I had to walk away from it. And it, I didn't leave really on my own accord And I couldn't handle the tasks that I once could. And that's just, it's, it's really a tough topic. And as I've been sitting in on support calls um, in the mitochondrial community and reading a lot of social media posts, it really does seem that this is a hot topic. So I welcome Bill, Nina, and Tasia today, and they are all here to share with you so that we can provide some insight and and some support into this topic. So thank you to everyone. Tasia, would you like to kick it off and just kind of introduce yourself? Tell us about the work you do and how you kind of found it and how it works for you and how it might not sometimes work for you. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everyone. Uh, Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Um, My name is Tasia Chisky, 31, and I live in the Boston area. I was diagnosed at a young age with a metabolic disorder called a fatty acid oxidation disorder. So essentially, the short version, that just means my body can't um, convert stored fat into energy. So I actually started a clinical trial at age 14, around 14, 15. And I've, you know, was on that clinical trial all the way through until it became a FDA FDA approved medication. And it has worked really, really well for me before I was definitely more limited. Some of the major kind of symptoms I have is a muscle breakdown. So, you know, I have to be really conscious of things like my energy, like exertion and like activity levels. Also, diet is uh, super important. As far as the workplace, so I always knew like I would have limitations, right? Um, I, I always had to think about, you know, how kind of like physically exerting would a job be. So I definitely was limited. But, you know, I always in school, I was like very I guess like academically inclined, I enjoyed things like I was a history major. So I loved 
things like writing research papers and like reading. So I guess I, those were things that I could do and would not require a lot of physical activity. I was originally more leaning toward going into kind of like politics and I did that for a while, uh, but kind of quickly found out that that area wasn't exactly for me. I also went to business school, so I kind of combined, leveraged my skill sets to go on and I currently work in research and development for a government contractor. So I have, you know, the traditional like desk job, which I think is well suited, obviously, to my disease, just because I, you know, I don't have to do anything that's super physically exerting. But for a while, I was like going to school, trying to balance going to school full time with, you know, working full time to get my graduate degree. So there's definitely times where I I have to balance. My medication that I take is not a super convenient type of medication. It's actually an oil. Um, So something I very much have to be concerned with is like being able to transport that and have it easily accessible throughout the day to me. So when I used to go into the office more frequently, like having kind of a break area where I could keep that and Um, you know, take breaks to take my medication was important. I was really lucky. I've worked at the same company since I graduated from my undergrad. So, you know, I I think, you know, at first I I had to prove myself. I had to prove that I was able to like get the work done and do the work well. Uh, But they also have a very flexible kind of like attitude toward work. Um, And I think that's helpful when it comes to, you know, they don't mind if I take a few hours and go to a doctor's appointment. Like I'm not having to punch in and punch out at certain times. They're more of the mindset that like, if you get your work done, it's not a problem. So, but I think kind of finding a workplace like that is very important. And I I like to think that I like found it, but I really did. Like I kind of just lucked into it and it has been um, really beneficial to me and like managing my health. Thank you, Tej. I I appreciate you sharing your story with everyone. Bill, it's your turn. Tell us about you. All right, my name is Bill, obviously, and I'm from, I live in uh, Alaska right now. I live in Wasilla, Alaska, uh, more known for Sarah Palin, but we will. Anyways, I have kind of a similar road to a lot of people with mitochondrial disease where you don't end up with a final diagnosis. And mine is where they found a mutation. They know it's pathogenic, but I'm only the third person that they've known to have it. So they're really cautious on saying that's the problem, which leaves me kind of hanging out there a little bit. And then how that affects and goes into work, the background history is I've always been a super active person. Um, when I was younger, I used to race mountain bikes professionally. I used to do triathlons and pentathlons and play soccer and do all the active things. And my career is a commercial diver. I work on bridges, dams, oil platforms, salvage, uh, heavy construction. It's all hard hat diving, which is very physically exerting a lot of times. And sometimes you spend hours and hours in the water. Sometimes it's really cold. And I've been doing that since I was 21. So I've been doing it 25 years and I was doing it for 20 years, 22 years before mitochondrial stepped into my life. And through that, about three years ago, I decided to get healthy. 
because I had kind of gone into supervising and I was getting a little bit overweight and so forth. So I decided to get healthy. And so I went on a, a low carb diet and everything dropped a lot of weight and life was good. My doctors were super happy with my blood pressure, my cholesterol and everything. And then things started going haywire and they couldn't figure it out. And I went through a long diagnosis process and luckily I was able to get out to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, more commonly known as CHOP. And they were able to do a lot of genetic testing that wasn't available to me anywhere else. And they found this mutation. They think this is your problem. You're not quite bad enough. And we're not quite sure enough to say it's your problem. <laughs> so that kind of left me in a hanging situation with a diagnosis, but not a diagnosis. And through that, as my body went haywire, I had to stop going on jobs and stop going in the water. One, I did, we didn't know what was going on with me. And I was having these, uh, we call them crashes or like metabolic crashes where everything just shuts down. And obviously that's not going to work very good in the water. So I was lucky that I had enough time in as diving and so forth that I was starting to already move into the office and it kind of accelerated the move. The other part that was lucky for me is I worked with an employer for quite some time before any of this happened. So they knew the kind of worker I was. They knew that I was always dependable and on time. And when I started having issues, I said, this was just not like you. So they were very willing to work with me and did a lot of accommodations. I have the biggest office because I can roll down. I have a, cap, a camp mat that I roll down and they allow me to take breaks when I need to. They got me a docking station for my house so that I can work from home if I can't make it to the office. So I've been really lucky in my employment situation where I could kind of roll into a different role. But at the same time, I think uh, you summed it up best in your intro where you, you said you weren't ready to quit. You, it was taken away from you. And that was probably the biggest thing that hurt was, yeah, I was already kind of moving towards the office, but being told you're not diving anymore, it's over, you've, you've, uh, you can't pass a physical anymore was pretty, pretty heartbreaking. So th that brings me up to where I'm at now, where I am getting better management with it, but still it affects me. And luckily I have some support through work and home. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for sharing. It, it's really, it's a tough topic to talk about. We all identify so much with the work that we do. And your work was so unique and intriguing. And I'm sure it felt sometimes almost even as a hobby, an interest of yours, beyond just working from the way that you've talked about it with me. So I'm glad that you were able to kind of morph it into staying in the same industry, the same company, and that your company is so welcoming in terms of the accommodations you need. So thank you. And we'll, we'll hear from you a little bit more later. So Nina, that brings us to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. My name is Nina, and I'm from Florida. And um, about two and a half years ago, I had a sudden onset of symptoms after taking a medication. And it took me uh, over a year to be correctly diagnosed with POLG2, which is a chronic and progressive condition that causes, for me, um, widespread neuropathy, myopathy, autonomic dysfunction, and seizures. And my symptoms are not controlled. Currently, I'm working in our job uh, part-time as a customer service representative. How I found the job, I was unable to pursue 
um, a lifelong goal of pursuing a master's degree, which would include interacting with the public. But due to my mitochondrial disease and my additional diagnosis of Guillain-Barre syndrome, I had to transition to a work-from-home only position. It works best for me, though, to um, have a part-time job. Um, it's better for my health and for my energy level. Some of the difficulties that I face, though, as a customer service representative is that I'm constantly um, talking and I'm typing and um, I have a lot of pain. I have a lot of muscle weakness in my daily activity. And um, I am finding that it is increasingly difficult to talk and type. So I'm currently working with a vocational rehabilitation program to hopefully transition to a more behind-the-scenes role that supports, um, that's a supportive role um, that will support my health condition. So that's my current situation. Thank you for sharing with us, Nina. It really is tough to be doing something and then be forced to try to make an adjustment. And sometimes that's not as easy. And sometimes it can fall in our lap. Well, thank you for everyone for sharing your stories. And now let's talk a little bit about the daily balance. You know, stress can cause fatigue. Do you feel like during your workday that when you are maybe behind the ball on a project or you have a lot on your plate and you're not sure how to manage it at the moment that the stress to you feels a little bit more overwhelming and that it can cause more fatigue for you later on in your day? So that's one thing that has been a struggle for myself. You would think that I was doing a very physical job before and that now moving into the office that I would be, oh, you took away all the physical stress, you're, you're good, you can manage your energy better. And what I found out, though, was when I start looking at lots of spreadsheets and writing up a lot of documents and trying to calculate a lot of numbers to bid jobs and so forth, it is actually to some degree more taxing than physical work. It really can crash me. And so that's why I was able to get a sleep mat in my office so that when I need to, I can lay down and balance that out. It also affects it so that if I use up all my energy here at work doing something, even on the mental side of things, when I go home, we might have things planned, activities we're gonna complete at home they don't happen and sometimes it's just i get in the door and luckily my wife is supporting and she'll she's like okay i can tell that you are done you are and it's hard to express to people that don't deal with mito of what done means and done isn't like oh i'm tired i really don't feel like doing anything else it's i cannot do anything else and just getting to the couch or the bed or whatever is all and that's that you're used up for the day that's done and out and so managing that stress trying to not give everything to work so that I have something left for the home life is an interesting balance to try to play. I feel you Bill. I always use the term I'm expired and my friends know my family knows that when I say that it means I am done it, it, and it means I am done in a different way from when you are done. Tasia, Nina, what else might you want to add? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, sometimes I, I guess the frustration builds a little bit because I feel like I expend all my energy doing the things I have to do, right? Like all of my energy is gone once I go to work 
and then I do all the like necessary kind of things to just keep life going home like homework whatever and then it gets frustrating because then you know come time to like do something fun or do something you want to do sometimes you don't have any energy left so like learning how to to balance that and like even in a desk job right if the average person has a busy day right they could work through lunch they could not take a break they could it's like I like I can't do those things like I have to consciously remind myself like no you need like you need to get up and uh eat something and drink something you need to get up and stretch or you're going to pay for it later right um and those are things like despite how busy or stressful life gets like you have to do those things and keeping that kind of like balance throughout the day so that you can have more like sustained energy, you know, I think different than Nina and Bill. Like I, I was diagnosed at a very, very young age. So I, I always knew kind of like right in the back of my mind and I've had different limitations kind of throughout my life. Um, but I think one thing I learned very early was like procrastination wasn't really an option for me. Like I would have friends in college who would like, wait till the last minute to do something and I was always like no like I have to stretch this out for like a month because like it could come down to the day before right and I just won't be able to do it right like if I'm sick that day if I don't feel well that whole day is a wash and I won't like won't be able to do it so I think I learned how to kind of like spread things out um and kind of schedule them at a very young age and it's kind of like carried throughout my life and into the workplace I hear you, Tasia. I feel like when I worked, I was always thinking that I couldn't count on myself for the next day. Like I might be exhausted today, but tomorrow, what if I'm exhausted and I have like cold-like symptoms that, or I have a cold today and I can make it through, but that could turn into bronchitis tomorrow. And then I'm down for, you know, several days. Um, so I always felt like I could never really rely on myself. And so I would push myself really hard in the moments I could, but then I was pushing myself hard and then I had to deal with it, you know, the payback of that later on that evening. So, you know, if everyone has this much energy and we only have this much energy, it's hard to get through our days. We all have a home. We all have family. We all have friends. And most of us have have employment. So the balancing act is very tough. Nina, what what would you like to add? It's the balance of an adjustment to um, even having energy to get ready for the workday <laughs> and balancing that with having energy for after the workday. So simple things like it's a big adjustment to go from being an adult and you get you, you make your lunch or you get up, you shower, you get dressed and you can't do that anymore. You have to pick and choose what you can and can't do. Or having energy after the workday, can you um, prepare a meal? Can you do something that you may enjoy to relax and unwind? And, you know, if all you can do is nap, that's all that you can do. I just find that really humbling and it's a difficult adjustment. Also, just wanted to touch on the idea of um, I'm currently balancing wanting to contribute to my family finances versus supporting myself in my disease progression. I find that really difficult and challenging. I also am balancing and finding that I have a limited amount of energy to give to others and the customers that I serve in my day. And that's not really my personality. I'm a giver and I enjoy and appreciate helping others, but I can find that even the tension throughout the workday can just 
sap my energy. So I'm really balancing finding a way to navigate through life and through this disease progression in a way that's more supportive. And again, just emphasizing why I'm personally choosing to look into vocational rehabilitation options so that I can hopefully continue to work, but find a position that's less stressful and allows me to be a person and a human and someone who's a, a contributing, you know, contributing to my finances or so it's a difficult balance to me. Does anyone feel guilty ever for maybe not being able to produce as much in a day? And that is kind of a question for your overall day, not necessarily just the work day, but I'm sure that that creates a lot of guilt then for the rest of your day. So does anyone want to talk about about that? I find it really, I've used the word humbling, <laughs> just going from being a very, you didn't have to ask me to do things. I, you tell me to do it and I say, you tell me to jump, I say how high, <laughs> and then I'll go a mile past that. And then now where the work day or the day itself looks like comfort clothes <laughs> versus, you know, something different. I'm giving that as an example, just to say it's just a big humbling transition from how little energy there is to do the things that you would typically be able to do as a independent adult. And so it's just a, I have these conversations with my husband too, and just talk a lot about the changes and the slowing down. And it's, it's been a difficult transition to make. Yeah, I was going to say, I was actually going to bring that up. I feel like there is like a, con or at least in my uh, experience, I, I kind of always feel the need to like overcompensate, right? Like when I'm feeling well, I will go the extra mile to do anything anybody needs because I'm like, well, you know, maybe next week I'm going to be functioning at, you know, 75% and I'm not going to like, so I need to make up for that. And I think that's something that's very common is like, feeling that need to, to do more when you can to make up for maybe the, the things that you feel like are lacking. And I know even in like a workplace setting, like it's come up that like, you know, that's a great trait to have to be like helpful and kind of have that like, I'm going to pitch in and get this done. But even in like reviews and things like I've had people tell me like, you're <laughs> you're a yes person, which is great, but like you can get yourself in trouble with that too. It's like saying yes to everything and too much and taking on too much. And you kind of got to learn how to balance that. But I think it, the reason I do that definitely stems from that need or that feeling that need to overcompensate, especially in the workplace where everything is so kind of heavily based on like your productivity, right? So yeah, there's a lot of guilt when it comes to not being able to deliver what you used to be able to deliver and not being able to be counted on because I'm sure as we have all experienced, Mido sneaks up on you and sometimes you don't have a rhyme or reason for it. You're just, your lactic acid is up that day. You are just having a hard time struggling. Your fatigue is through the roof and, and you're like, I can't even get to work, much less go do anything else. And up in my job here in Alaska, diving gets a little difficult in wintertime, so we kind of don't do a lot of diving in the wintertime. The water gets kind of hard to get into. But uh, in the summertime, it's all hands on deck. We're just go, go, go. And part of the agreement when I came into the office was, hey, you'll be able to help out on these jobs. Because I, like I said, I was already transitioning into the office before Mido hit me. And 
So they have this great plan where I can run the office during the winter time and then I can help out and go do jobs because I have a lot of experience in a lot of different things. And to be able to not be able to do that when they are say, hey, we need we, we need an extra hand doing this. And I'm like, no, I can't do that. Or I need my own hotel room because I it adds cost to things. And so definitely there's been some times where my employers looked at me a little bit cross-eyed. But fortunately, they're like, we understand and we support you and that's good. It's also been where I've had to go out on a job to, they're like, hey, we, you have the knowledge to do this job. You can't physically do this job, but we need you to go so you can tell us what to do on this job. And because you're the subject matter expert in this field or whatever it is. And what that does, though, is it adds another person onto the job when you're counting on four guys working for a week or two. Now you're counting on five guys being there. And still, once you're there, like, oh, we'll do everything. It doesn't always work out that way. And so when they do need you, you're like, okay, I'm stuck in a hotel room, not being able to do my job or to support the people that I need to. And like I said, I've been so fortunate to have a supportive employer and, and coworkers. But at the same time, you feel really guilty when you can't deliver what you used to be able to or even come close to it. Bill, I relate to so much. My work was so different than yours. I was in sales. But when you're on commission, there's really no opportunity to ever say no to anyone. And I would get myself into a lot of trouble because of that, because I wasn't ever thinking about myself first. And I knew that I had to remove myself from that environment or else I would put way too much wear and tear on on my body over the long term. But it's hard. I learned this actually from someone in my mitochondrial support group that like when you're working, like it's just it's hard to say no to your boss, like regardless of what the task is or when it is for a lot of employees, it is hard to say no to your boss. And with our condition, it puts us in the position of needing to do that. And that can be really tough. Have any of you had tough conversations with your boss or confusing conversations where you felt misunderstood or unseen that you'd be willing to talk about? I think it's difficult to talk about mitochondrial disease and the impact it has on you because it can be an invisible illness. And um, also there's a lot of restrictions about what you can and cannot share if you have an accommodation. So I've had a few awkward conversations with employers. Also, mitochondrial disease specifically does have a can't be discussed <laughs> So uh, with the GINA law. So just keep that in mind. But I, I find that unfortunate that there are other types of diseases that can be openly discussed. But when it comes to genetic known information, it's, it's a different type of topic and a different type of conversation um, even the sharing of information for accommodation was a difficult process. Yeah, I think it it's kind of knowing, you know, not only like your, like how much you want to share, but kind of like knowing how much they need to know as well and like finding that balance. Like I know, again, my workplace is very supportive. You know, they've always worked with me. But even when it comes to it, like, the people I work with, they don't know the specifics of my situation, right? Like, 
I've found like they, they kind of don't want to, right? Because from an HR perspective, they're like, we don't want you to feel like you need to like tell us all of the details, right? We just need to know like, what can we do for you? And like, sometimes it, it can be hard to explain why you're needing something when you can't like they don't always want to know what it is right so it's like you kind of do this dance where you figure out okay like I'm going to talk about how I need maybe like dietary restrictions or I I'll need to you know I'm gonna take time off right like so for me it's like leave time right like I hoard my leave time because I'm like oh my gosh like what what would happen if I ever got sick so I just like I've just like built it up over time and I don't use it unless I like absolutely need to but then there comes time right where I'm like all of a sudden I need to like go to the hospital and I'm like just out like and it's all of a sudden right it's like most people can kind of plan ahead they can say okay I'm going to be out during these times for you know obviously when you're talking about something like vacation or something this is very different it's like it comes on all of a sudden and all of a sudden I'm having to send a message to my boss saying like I'm in the hospital and I, I really don't know when I'm going to be able to come back to work. And I know, like, I think me being that person, like knowing the stress it's going to cause that other person to have to shuffle everything around and figure everything out because you're not there can be definitely really tough and stressful. And like, honestly, even sometimes it's like the things that come along with working, right? So I have to travel, not a lot, but like a bit for work. And travel is just like a whole nother ball game for me than it is kind of like your average person, right? It's like, I have to figure out how to transport my medicine. I have to like, and it just adds again, that extra physical and emotional stress that I, I'm, I'm constantly having to gauge, like, how am I feeling? Like now I'm having to work and travel and like, do kind of all the social events that people want to do around work travel. Um, and I even had a scenario, right? It's like, I have to go to the airport and go through TSA and my two colleagues were with me and I kept telling them just like, go ahead. Cause it's like, it's going to take me a really long time to get through TSA. Cause I have a liquid medication and it's always like, it's a process to get through. And they're like, no, 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 we'll, we'll wait for you. Like, we'll wait. And they were being nice and I appreciated it. But at the same time, I was like, no, like, please just go. Like, it will make me feel better if you can just like go about your business, like go to the gate, do what you need to do. I don't want you to have to feel like you have to wait for me. So I've had to have some hard conversations, especially early on when we, we didn't know what was going on. I knew that it, when I started getting really tired or fatigued and it would come on you know I, I could only make it through half a day of work and I'd be going home at 11 o'clock 12 o'clock and I knew that I was having a hard time doing paperwork and doing stuff and I had to go to my employer so I'm a dive supervisor and I'm good at it so I get put on a lot of technical projects and the problem with that is you're dealing with a lot of body physiology when you got a diver in the water with decompression times, you are keeping track of multiple monitors. You have a dive camera, you might have an ROV camera, you might have a deck camera, you have people you're, you know, you got a radio to the captain, radio to the, so you have lots of stuff going on and it will drain you and fatigue you and you have to make the right decisions and you got to know the regulations and, and the processes and the procedures and, and you got to 
you don't have time to go look them up in a book and refresh your memory. And so I was having a hard time doing things. And I was like, I cannot put myself in a situation where I have somebody's life in my hands. And so I had to go to my employer and say, look, I can't go do these jobs because if somebody gets hurt, their first thing they're going to come back at is he had an issue and he should not have been in that position. And so I had to have the conversation of taking myself out of that role. And that was a hard conversation to have. And a lot of people that with Milo have the opposite where the employer has the conversation with the employee, like, hey, you're not keeping up. You need to come in. You're missing too much work. And I was the opposite where I was going to the employer and saying, look, I can't do this. I, I need to, for everybody's benefit, I can't do these roles no more um, because it's not going to look good. Very responsible of you and respectful of you. But I'm sure you also, it seems like you're so passionate about the work you do. So I'm sure it was really tough giving up some of these responsibilities been working at it a lot of years and finally getting to the point where you have that respect and clout within the industry and to now say, oh, I got to step back and I can't do what I worked for <laughs> all these years for. What you built up to. It's like climbing, uh, was it Mount Everest? And you, you get up to the top camp and then they say, oh, you can't climb the last bit to the peak and you have to go back now. And you're like, I've done so much to get here, but now I can't do it. It's restricting and very frustrating. Now, most of our listeners are part of our mitochondrial community. So let's say you're talking to someone who is young, just in the beginning of their career, and they're really struggling to figure out what direction should they go in. What advice would you have for them? What you know, life hacks, what insight would you have that would help them, you think, on a regular basis, work through some of these challenges that we've all faced over the years? Because we know everyone wants to contribute to society and, and grow themselves professionally. So what advice might you have? So I have three adult children, and um, one of them is diagnosed with mitochondrial disease as well. And the advice that I'm giving to her is to um, widen her possibilities and her um, to make sure that her degree has a lot of different applications so that if and as her disease progresses, I want her to be able to engage in something that interests her and a job that interests her. But if it begins to affect her physically, she can still have some options as well. So just keeping those um, options in mind and having some of those difficult conversations now, um, that's not easy as a parent and nobody wants to tell their young adult, well, you know, this may or may not happen. Let's just keep an eye on it because we don't know how it's going to affect her personally. There's such a wide variety of presentations within each family. But I do encourage those who are beginning their career to just keep in mind what this job look like if you can't um, use, let's say it just affects you physically, like it affects your hands. Is there another way that you can still use have this career, but in a different, do it, but in a different way, if that makes sense. So. I like that, Nina. So keeping your options open so that you can kind of stay within it, but maybe change it up a little bit down the road to make it really fit for you. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a one size fits all. And I think too, that 
none of us plan to have a disability. You know, everybody thinks it's somebody else, but we're in a situation where we're facing um, our own onset of disability, what, however that may look like. So I hope that the world is going to be changing towards being more accommodating. But if we can change our mindset too of what can what can we do? How can we work through this? How can we support ourselves? How can we find meaning in a way that is a little bit different than what we expected? But when we can do that with ourselves, we can also, even if it sounds a little bit idealistic, we can make an impact on the world too, where changes when, with the onset of disability, it's an accepted <laughs> occurrence rather than something that nobody wants to talk about. Hush, hush, we're not going to address it. So I'm hoping it'll make an impact on society too. This is just what happens. It happens to be mitochondrial disease. It could be another thing, but we we want to have acceptance of ourselves first and also with within society. That was very well said. Thank you. Anyone else with some advice to share for our community? Yeah, I think it's important to like reframe. I think that's exactly what you're describing, Nina, is like reframing the conversation and also like not like not looking at yourself as a burden, um, but actually under like understanding that you're an asset, like the experiences you've gone through have been rigorous right and it's like you made it through and you like we have to do so much kind of like management and use so many skills just to manage having metabolic mitochondrial disease and those are skills that a workplace is lucky to have that that could be applied in that context so I think it's kind of yeah reframing it and not being afraid to ask, like, I know I say that, and it's, like, one of the hardest things to do, but it's, and especially at first, like, when you're a new employee, like, brand new showing up, and you, nobody really knows you, uh, you haven't had a chance to kind of, like, prove your, you know, abilities, but everybody has things that they have to deal with, and, like, even if you don't see them, everybody has accommodations that have to be made for them, so don't feel like you, you can't ask for the help that you need. And one thing I I know I've done like throughout my life is like, yeah, there's certain kind of career paths that I always thought were, you know, not an option for me because of the kind of physical and health limitations. But what I found is like turning that, like doing those in more of a volunteer or like hobby capacity, uh, because those are a lot more, that's a lot more controllable, right? And it's a lot lower stress and like, so things like I love being outdoors. I like hiking. I love nature. I knew that that probably was never going to be something that I could turn into a career path for myself, but I love doing them. And so I do it, but I do it in a more controlled way because I'm not, it, it's not the way that I'm trying to make my living, right? It's like, I can manage like how I do it and there's not as high expectations. So I would consider telling someone like, don't give up those things completely. Maybe there's a way that you could still do them part time or on a volunteer in a volunteer capacity or in some sort of way. Like don't feel like you have to cut them out of your life completely. That's really good advice. Thank you. Any final thoughts, Bill? Well, I got an interesting situation. So there's a lot of my family, my immediate family, my wife and I have two biological sons and then I have an adopted daughter. And one son 
has rare genetic disorder. He has Klinefelter's syndrome, which his chromosomes are XXY. And it affected him learning disabilities, um, muscle issues, and so forth, because he didn't have any testosterone. And we didn't find out until later on. And so he has some disabilities going into the workforce with that. And he's out serving a mission for the church right now. And it's going to be coming back. And he's like, what do I do with my life now kind of thing. So I have that one to deal with. And then I have another son who has a mitochondrial disease. It's OPA1, and he's visually impaired and has some hearing issues. And he has already experienced some of the forms of discrimination when it comes to these things, like he loves to play soccer. And you get into the high school, and it's like you have to try out for the varsity team and so forth. And we taught him very early that he had to advocate for himself and go forth and, you know, tell everybody you know, find those accommodations. And we also have learned that sometimes that's not the best advice because a soccer coach, as soon as he hears that you're visually impaired, it's like that kid's not going on varsity. And when they're doing their tryouts, he plays good, but they still kind of have that bias where he's not going on varsity. And then as he gets put on JV and the, the season goes on, he's literally like, man, he's a really strong player. I can't believe how well he plays with limited vision and so forth. And then they move him up to varsity and it takes that time. So we've kind of had to adjust things where showing all your cards when you first come into an interview of some sort and teaching them the laws of what discrimination can and can't be and what can and can't be said and what you don't have to say and what you don't have to say to be able to teach them to navigate that going into a workforce is I think critical and it's something that none of us had well i'm not sure about tasha she she was younger but when you're older and you get thrown into this and you're kind of dealing with it as you're trying to work you're trying to get the diagnosis and you're trying to kind of be upfront with your employer to like what your abilities are it's difficult you don't have that education of what to say what not to say when to say it uh what's available to you in com- accommodations and so forth but so as you, if you're younger coming into the workforce, learning what employers can and can't know, what they have to know, what you can say and can't say, or they can, they can't, and just knowing those laws and what accommodations they need to be able to provide or so forth, it gives you a lot more knowledge going into it. And with my son, and it gives you a peace of mind because then you're like, okay, I know the system instead of just being thrown into the water and it's a sink or swim kind of thing. The other thing we've done with my son with OPA1 is we've tried to embrace technology into his. So he has bioptic glasses. He has a giant iPad for blowing up things to read. He's tried out different things so he could figure out what devices worked for him so that he could use those and trying to figure that out before you get thrown in the situation of, hey, I need to figure out how to, what tool can work for me for this. has helped him out quite a bit getting into things. And with that, he's, I like to say, I uh, got to brag on him a little bit. <laughs> he's been taking a, he's in the honor society, he's in the honor band, and he's in the, taking the AP classes. And a lot of his teachers are just always amazed, like, oh, wow, he's so smart with all this stuff. And how does he do it? How does he keep up? And He'll do things like he puts himself in the front of the class 
he learned that he could learn more if he was in an AP class, there's less people and less noise so he could focus on what was going on. Not necessarily he was interested in the classes, but otherwise he couldn't hear the stuff or see the past the class. So always uh, interesting trying to navigate these things coming into life. And I don't know, I think that would be my key advice is kind of learn the laws and what's available to you and how to work around your trials or what, what, what's bothering you. I'm, I'm not saying that very well, but <laughs> try to figure out what works for you and how to incorporate that so that you can be a productive in whatever career that you go into and that people won't look at you as a handicap. I don't know if that's a great term to put it, but like I said, with my son playing soccer, him, they first look at him and they're like, oh, automatically you're out. And then after it goes on, they're like, wow, he has some really good skill. We kind of were a little bit brash on that. My advice is dealing with my two sons that are have issues coming into the workforce and how they're going to navigate that. Well, hopefully both of your boys and everyone around each of you are inspirational to your colleagues and to the other students and seeing that you all can make it work and Bill, that your sons can make it work at school and still succeed and overcome odds will hopefully be really inspirational to the people around them. And I appreciate all of you for being here and for telling your story and for sharing ideas and insight for our Mito community, because again, it's a topic that it really is a hot topic. It's, it's, an area that people really identify themselves within. And when you feel restricted or you feel, you know, the guilt or shame, it can be a lot for one person to handle. So hopefully your stories will be impactful for our listeners. So thank you, Tasia, Nina, Bill. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you, audience. And we look forward to having you on again soon on Energy in Action. Thank you for joining us. I encourage you to browse other Energy in Action podcast episodes. I'm so inspired by the resilience of those in previous episodes, and I know you will be too. 